welcome back to the Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I am Dave. And we are back with you guys uh, for another awesome show on the That's attributes right. of scripture. And there's right. something going wrong with the microphone, one of them. Anyway, uh, it, it sounded weird. Anyway, this has been a, uh, for the people on the podcast, this is, uh, you, as you heard probably in the last one, that uh, we are doing multiple shows in a day, and we've never done this before, so it's a lot going on anyway, so. Yeah. Yeah. So That's last okay. time we, we uh, just uh, went over the necessity of scripture, so now we wanted to make a show on the clarity, the of, clarity scripture. of scripture. clarity of scripture is good, and we are ready to talk about it. I just want to throw a few things out there, just as uh, some reminders real quick. Uh, there is going to be a live-seated debate here yes. in Springfield at the Library Center on the 6th of January. That event is up. We would really like for you to come. There will be a live Q&A. It is a really solid partner. Again, it's a guy with a master's degree. We're going to talk about the doctrine of inerrancy. Should be a whole lot of fun. Should be a real challenge uh, for me anyways. I've been writing on the case. I feel really, really good about it. And I do want to also say this. This is a cool thing, too. Adam... And Travis Hurinick and I did get a mm-hmm. paper accepted. First time we've got an uh, academic apologetics paper accepted to a conference. So we're going to be presenting some research at the International Society of Christian Apologetics at the end of March. We've got a few yeah. little more things to put on that paper. But once we get it written, get it edited, uh, it'll be up. We really would love for you to just... Uh, Continue to give us encouragement and feedback. We are always coveting your feedback, your reviews, your questions mm-hmm. live. And, and so we're really, really thankful for all of that. It's This is going to be the second to last Monday of yeah. the year. So... Yeah, we just have one more time we'll go live this year, even though we're doing three shows today and those will be up, you know, on the podcast uh, once a week or whatever. We got one more time that will be up and then uh, it'll be January 6th whenever we have the debate. So... We have been yeah. podcasting since 2017. Yeah. We'll be entering our third year of podcasting, yeah. which is way cool. Did not expect that to happen, and uh, we're excited. There's a lot of things that are going to be fun that are happening in 2020, and we're excited. In fact, I'll be meeting with the president of the Missouri Baptist Apologetics uh, Network, Will Hoffman, and mm-hmm. the director in December on the 19th. Of December, and so uh, it should be a good meeting. I think we're going to be putting together some plans. At least the Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network is going to be doing some type of a conference, it looks like, in 2020. Yeah. So, want to really encourage you on that. Uh, Adam and I are also going to be sending out a debate. Uh, challenge to an individual in 2020. In fact, uh, him and I have talked a little bit about mm-hmm. that. Don't want to just maybe that'll be the last thing we reveal yes. at the end of the year, yeah. and we'll have to call that person out, and hopefully they'll respond. But with that said, better jump right in yeah. here to the clarity of yeah. Scripture. Uh, I just want to begin with just a few little brief notes on why it's been so important for us to kind of end this year on discussing the five attributes of of Scripture, I love what James White writes in his book, um, Scripture Alone. He says very clearly, how one views Scripture will determine the rest of one's theology. Mm-hmm. There is no more basic issue. Every system of thought that takes seriously the claims of the Bible to be inspired, authoritative Word of God will share a commitment to particular central truths and that without compromise. 
we fundamentally believe in discussing these attributes of Scripture because as presuppositional apologists, this is where we began, this is where we end. Mm -hmm. You bet it's a, it is the only beautiful right circle for us. And so as presuppositional apologists, we begin with Scripture, we end with Scripture, we contend from Scripture, we contend yeah. with Scripture. Scripture alone is And the is big thing is, tool. you know, we're just not apologists. That's that's the other issue is that we're evangelists. We are proclaimers of the gospel, and it's because of that proclamation we get asked questions. That's right. It's the life that we live out of our beliefs that will demand answers from people around us. So that's why um, there's 1 Peter 3.15. It's because these people were called to a life. They were suffering persecution for what they believed and they proclaimed and they were told to give an answer for the hope that lies within them, which is the gospel. So again, just in that multifacetedness, that diamond approach, it is that we're proclaiming the gospel, we're living the gospel, we're doing that positive thing. And then we come and defend the gospel at the same time. And you can't, divorce them from each other. You can talk about them distinctively, but they're both a part of the same process. In this case, evangelism. You can't get out of um, apologetics when you're an evangelist. And, you know, we're going to talk about <clears throat> that sort of thing on the next time we we get hooked up um, with you guys. Is Again, we're going to talk about Terry Carter and him, him being an evangelist and him not being an apologist <laughs> and defending himself um, in, that, in that vein. But so that goes to show you at the very outset you have to have the correct doctrine from Scripture, about Scripture, so that you can evangelize, so that you can defend the faith. Everything hinges on, has God spoken? Yes. Is He authoritative? Was it necessary? Is it clear? Is it sufficient? Is, Is it inerrant? And so, in this, again, perspective, the one uh, piece of the diamond or the crystal that we're putting forward today is this idea of clarity. And I love what Harold Lenzel says in his book, The Battle for the Bible, uh, a book that Adam has on his shelf, a book mm -hmm. that I have on my shelf. He says it's impossible to, it, excuse me, he says it is possible to destroy the idea of biblical infallibility neatly by providing, by providing interpretations of Scripture at variance with the plain reading of the text. It can be accomplished by contentiously worked on, conscientiously held a priori presuppositions mm -hmm. that do the same thing. So today, in talking about the uh, clarity of Scripture, uh, it is important that we acknowledge this is one of the main problems that we are actually dealing with. It is one of the most essential, what I would consider, we have the sufficiency of Scripture the attacks on the sufficiency of Scripture, and the attacks on the clarity of Scripture. And by that I mean this, we can see the attacks on the clarity of Scripture most poignantly in a few different areas. The LGBTQ plus revolution mm -hmm. does contend, hath God not said, God really hasn't spoken on these issues clearly. Mm -hmm. Those who deal with the homosexuality, and again, uh, LGBTQ plus revolution and the homosexuality marriage issues are, are again, uh, two sides of the same coin. Yeah. And the question is, well, and often it's said, well, God really hasn't, Jesus didn't really speak directly against homosexuality. To say such a thing is to demonstrate a fundament, fundamental misunderstanding of the Trinity, Mm -hmm. A fundamental misunderstanding of the inspiration of Scripture, but likewise it questions the clarity of Scripture. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. Jesus didn't really denounce this. Yeah, and I mean, this is again, I know we said this before, but this is the issue that we that Dave and I both had whenever we were talking to uh, the rights. Yes. Um, oh, uh, Philip Wright and Devin, Devin Wright, Wright of yeah. the venues. Um, they don't think that you, that the scripture is clear. Yeah. And so why are the thing is, and they would the always is, say, yeah, yeah. Jesus, yeah. Jesus didn't say anything against this. Oh, was, but, did, but yeah, but, but wait a second. What is your understanding that, of the but, Trinity? But what, why is that clear? <laughs> you know, well, so he, once you, once you get rid of something, but then you make an absolute statement about something. Yeah. And again, yeah. I would always contend when anyone tells you, well, Jesus didn't say anything about, didn't say anything directly about homosexuality. It demonstrates, number one, they don't believe in the clarity of Scripture as a whole. They don't believe in the harmonization of Scripture, which is incredibly important. And again, they don't understand the doctrine of the Trinity because to say that Jesus didn't say is to separate Jesus from God the Father and God the Holy Spirit yeah. to demonstrate a lack of understanding concerning the under, uh, concerning the doctrine of inspiration and why this is this such a big deal. When you say Jesus didn't say, you've now become either a modalist mm-hmm. or you've become a partialist, right? Yeah. Two massive misunderstandings of the doctrine of the Trinity. But again, we're not just going to talk about yeah. the doctrine of the Trinity. We're going to talk about the sufficiency, excuse me, about the clarity of Scripture. But yeah. here's why, as Southern Baptist. A good, long discussion of the clarity of Scripture is really important. Two fundamental issues that I think are pressing, something that we're going to deal with within the next year, um, something that you and I have been researching individually, trying to stay on the same page when it comes to issues of uh, critical race theory, critical yeah. theory in general. In fact, our first episode of next year will be, not counting the debate, will be on critical theory. Mm-hmm. But here's why these two things are important. Does critical race theory and does the roles of men and women in the, in the Scripture demonstrate that Scripture isn't clear, right? Mm-hmm. Scripture does talk about racial issues. Scripture does speak about the roles of men and women, and it does so clearly. Yeah. And so as Southern Baptists, we want to recognize that we have a fundamental uh, burden to maintain the same hermeneutic, the same rules of hermeneutics, the same exegetical approach to how we would understand the roles of men and women in Scripture and the way that we would understand the doctrine of of justification. We want to come at those from the same thing. So, yeah. uh, sorry I've been a little oh, no, bit no, no. long in, in introducing this. Uh, I want to start, uh, Adam, let's go way back and let's talk about what the 1689 London Baptist Confession, before we jump right in and begin to kind of lay out the, the main precepts, let's look at what the London Baptist Confession says yeah, about so, the yeah, clarity again, of Scripture. Not an esoteric idea, and remember, this is at a time where you had uh, three types of church polity. Um, they all three made confessions. This is the one that uh, Dave and I adhere to, because right. again, we're credo-baptists. That's right. Um, but then again, we agree with especially the Presbyterians, even though we don't agree on baptism, we agree on the clarity of Scripture that would have to lead to our conclusions on the mode of baptism and all that kind of thing, all that kind of stuff. So we, you know, we, we have the presupposition to have the argument about the mode of baptism. If we don't have clear Scripture, we can't, you know, we can't have the debate about mode of baptism, right? That's and right. so um, we are in agreement on this. And it says in uh, chapter 1.7 uh, says, All things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other 
that is not or that not only the learned but the unlearned in a due use of ordinary means may attain to a sufficient understanding of them. So the first thing that you know you should really realize the word sufficient came up. And so yeah. when we talk about clarity, we're going to have to also discuss sufficiency. Again, they come to they this is a unit. Um I think uh definitely hear the words of uh oh uh Francis Schaeffer um come to play when in our postmodern world is the parts and piece attitude of people. We just have parts and piece arguments, but we don't recognize the whole. And so this is why we're we're going to continue to pound that there is a universal, there are particulars, and covenant is what binds everything. That's right. <laughs> you know, God, that is that binding contract between God and man, a God speaking, and all these things. So you know, clear, um, clear and sufficient are going to be two things that play together. And so whenever we consider again um, the the big. Uh, Go to uh, Bible verse or Bible passage that uh, we always go to is again Paul to Timothy. He says, "But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings." Again, that is the Old Testament scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, which is then the gospel. Um, all scripture is breathed out by God. God spoken. He breathed it and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So sufficiency and clarity come out here because if they're not sufficient, then you can't be complete. Right. That's right. For every good work. If they're not clear, then you don't know what to do. That's right. To do the good works. And so it has to be clear. Yes. Therefore, to save you, to work. And so this, again, goes back to the necessity where we're talking about spiritual life, spiritual growth, everything. Um, it has to be clear, has to be sufficient. Now, for me, when I think about the, again, I, I wanna, don't want to just miss, like, go all over the place, but I want to kind of funnel some things down. But, but before we do that, I want to lay some of these foundations. For me, when we talk about the clarity of Scripture, sometimes it's like a duh. Obviously, we can understand what Scripture says, but actually, you'll see a lot of times the attacks on, well, that's not really clear enough for us to know whether that's true. That's wrong. That's not the fundamental presupposition. And we're going to look at a few more passages directly from the statements of Christ, the statements mm -hmm. of Paul, the statements of Moses himself on this clarity. But when you think about and begin to try to define the, what it means for the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture, like how would you understand that? How would you directly share that with a person when you say, what does the clarity of Scripture mean? Yeah, and I mean it's it's definitely the confession has it out. It's it's somewhere or another. So again, we are defending a unit. Um, gotcha. As Van as Van Til said, you, whenever you're talking about Christianity, you're talking about a unit. Gotcha. You can't part and parcel this thing. I mean, you can do it for distinctive purposes, but then again, it's that whole and that particular thing. So when we're talking about the clarity of Scripture, Scripture is clear in what it teaches. Yes. And um, you might find a piece over here you might find a piece over here you might find a piece over uh -huh. here but you're going to find it and it's going to be in there and it's going to be clear when it teaches that so like the confession says some things are obscure and so that's whenever we go is there anywhere else that we can flesh this out that has a parallel yeah where he's speaking into somewhat of the same situation so we can go with our grammatical historical so, hermeneutic and we can go through all these things but we are going to be able to find again and 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 this is where it hinges on sufficiency 
Yeah. It's sufficient, right? So even though it might be clear to a point, but you might still be begging for more, you're just going to have to deal with what you have. So like one of the things I think of when I think about the clarity of scripture, I mean, a few little pieces. I know like Grudem says in his text, like essentially a lot of times this historically has been called the doctrine of the perspicuity of scripture. And he's like, well, that's kind of silly. And we did have a whole show on the perspicuity of scripture, which I think is great. I don't think it's silly, but he says the word perspicuity is a little, uh, perspicuity, unperspicuous. It's a little bit unclear. It's not a word that we use a whole lot. So just to put it in real, like street terms, right? When I think about the clarity of scripture, I am saying that God has spoken in yeah. such a way so that we can actually understand him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. God doesn't speak and in, in so this is gonna be a really silly analogy, but I'm gonna put it out there like just straight up. Uh in the late nineties, early two thousands, I believe it was like two thousand, there was this show called The Mystery Men, the movie The Mystery mm-hmm. Men. Ben Stiller was in it. Uh it, it was pretty funny movie about these superheroes and one of the superheroes was called the Sphinx. Maybe you remember this. Maybe I'm speaking to millennials and maybe I'm not. Uh, but the Sphinx would put together these like really obscure like quotations and sayings that are almost like what you would find in in old uh in, in old um, fortune cookies, right? Yeah. Just these obscure statements that were like, wait, what? The Bible is not obscure statements. Yeah. The Bible is not some, oh, let me try to funnel and analyze this down. That's not how it works. Yeah. And, and sometimes we get a little bit confused because we'll read something, uh, particularly in the Old Testament, um, you go to a minor prophet, right? You might read a minor prophet and you might say, man, what in the world is Hosea saying? Like, how in the world are these prophecies? Like, they don't even make sense. You might read the book of Ezekiel and and, and hear about the will with all the eyes on it. Be like, what in the world? Like, I don't have some magic understanding. We're not stating with the clarity of Scripture that you're going to be able to understand every single little prophecy. Right? Yeah. Some of it is historical context that, that will be kind of hard, but we are going to contend. And I believe the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture is very important because it says, look, God has spoken clearly so that human beings can understand who He is, mm-hmm. how to come about, how salvation comes about. Man can understand who He is. Man is, right? So we can understand who God is. We can understand salvation. We can understand who we are. We can understand, I believe, how the church should function, how regenerate people should function. And we can understand what the Bible says even about itself. Does that make sense? We won't have every single answer. Again, Deuteronomy tells us that there are secret things that belong to God, but the things that are revealed are Hours And so I, again, wanted to defer to Grudem because, again, yeah. the most widely used systematic theology text, Grudem writes this, and I think it's very good. In fact, I wish I would have actually typed this up and thrown it on the oh, screen. Yeah. Like, that would have been pretty cool. We'll need to maybe think about doing that yeah, a few times. The, the clarity of Scripture means that the Bible is written in such a way that its teachings are able to be understood by all who read it, seeking God's help and being willing to follow it. In other words, just to break that down, the Bible contends that Scripture has been recorded in such a manner that its content is something that anyone who desires to understand it will have access to. 
In other words, if one's reading the Bible with a sincere desire to understand God, God is going to direct them by His Spirit to accomplish that. Yeah. And so, to talk about that sincere desire. Now, I have had, you know, got my thorn in the flesh that comes to me every once in a while. And I know uh, if it just kind of recalls um, some conversation um, with that. But, you know, it just seems to me that whenever I talk, you know, I get this... Um, uh, sort of response back of uh, you've got some sort of corner on the market you've got some sort of special knowledge and i just keep on going like you can have it too it, you can read it so i'm not telling i'm not telling you so that you know that when we're talking about this you know we're not gnostic that's right it's just the fact that it's there you can read it so we talked about the necessity of scripture right that God has had it written down for us, a reliable account of of uh, his promises, of what salvation is, so that we can live, move, and have our being um, in freedom, knowing these things. But, you know, when he talks about the sincerity issue, this is talking about, um, it's not an intellectual issue, it's an ethical issue. Yeah. And so we're talking about an unregenerate man that approaches the same information that the regenerate man approaches right so the information is there the intellectual stuff is there but it's a matter of the heart whenever you come to scripture and so if you hate god how are you going to read scripture hating god and that's you're right gonna be like oh man he did this he did that he did the assyrians the jewish people all this death and war blah blah blah, blah. and you've already got that a priori um thing behind it saying that well no no this isn't my morality my morality is more superior than god well Good job. You just turned into Eve with the uh, with the fruit, right? That's right. And so then the regenerate man, the one who is, remember, the, the scripture lays out exactly um, this issue. These things are spiritually discerned. And so it's not veiled intellectually, but it's veiled to them because they're perishing, right? That's, that's what the scripture teaches. And that's clear in scripture that it teaches that, right? And so, again, we got to talk about the ethical issue. It's not a Gnostic special knowledge, um, like especially that uh, the Freemason uh, thing that I, I read, uh, the, the Minnesota petition made it sound like we had to be prepared specially in our hearts. And it was very Gnostically. It wasn't a biblical preparing, but we had to, you had to be certain, some sort of specially knowledge prepared um, to accept the eternal plan of God kind of a thing. So we're not talking Gnostically. We're talking about if uh, God has um, regenerated you, given you the Holy Spirit within you, and uh, you heard Christ's voice and you, and you come and you see him in the scriptures and God's word, and you, you basically you're just wrestling with the text from there on out, um, then how the clarity plays into that versus the unregenerate person that, you know, they're just going to be like, well, it's not clear, it's contradictory and all that kind of stuff. But it's that a priori issue um, going into it. But again, that was very, um, that's a very needed understanding of what serious inquiry is. If you're seriously in inquiring into the scriptures, you know, I pray it's the Holy Spirit that's worked on you so that whenever you read them, you have that um, at the very heart of the issue whenever you're reading the scriptures. Yeah, uh, I just was looking a little bit at some of our questions and some of our responses, and mm -hmm. I think before we jump right in to unpack all of what uh, I have today, I, I want to make sure we deal with, uh, Jonathan has spoken, Jonathan Hanna has come on before, he's spoken mm -hmm. a little bit about what the perspicuity, what the clarity of scriptures, and he always wants to kind of flesh out, and I, and I think it's a great, great idea, uh, when he deals with the concept of 
of, uh, again, the answer, what does it mean in the London Baptist Confession, chapter 1, section 7, when they talk about ordinary means. And uh, real, real good stuff. Um, do you have any thoughts on what, again, go to the London Baptist Confession, uh, chapter 1, yeah. verse 7, what ordinary means is. And he says basically, oh gosh, every time someone joins, I uh, my, my questions move. So he says that Turretin offers this answer. The question does not concern the perspicuity, which does not exclude the means necessary for interpretation. Mm. Sorry, I got lost again. Uh, I.e. the internal light of the Spirit, attention of mind, the voice and the ministry of the Church, sermons and commentaries, prayer and watchfulness. For we hold these means not ordinary to be useful, but also necessary. Ordinarily means so. Real quick, read one point seven and uh, again and so give your thoughts on that. Yeah, to go, so oh, uh, those things are which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of scripture or another that not only the learned but the unlearned in a due use of ordinary means may attain to a sufficient understanding of them. And so, no, um, what he is wanting to talk about is solo. Scriptura, gotcha. Not sola scriptura, um, but just just think about it. You know, we can read the scriptures. Yes. Um, do we then go on our own and we go just me and Jesus in the Bible underneath the tree in God's creation, or what are ordinary means? And like, whenever you think about um, the. Uh, would you contend the, the, then that the church the Ethiopian, is right? exceptionally important to ordinary yeah. means? Oh, yes. And so, just think about the Ethiopian, right? Um, he was reading I, the or reading Isaiah, and he's going, and he he's like, he's probably he's having problems, and then Philip comes by. Gotcha. And the Spirit tells Philip to go to him, right? Yes. And he's like, I need somebody to read this to me and help me understand this. And then Philip's able to go, this is Jesus. Here's the gospel. And then it was after that, that they're writing and they see water. And he's like, I want to be baptized. Right. And so there, there is means. And then, so um, when we're talking about the church, we're not talking about Rome. They, they had a monopoly on it. That was way out of line um, about how the church, the Roman Catholic church was the interpreter of scripture. And there was no salvation outside of the church yes, and no understanding outside of the church. Yes. They took the Bibles away, especially in an illiterate culture. You were bound to what the priest told you, and you couldn't do anything about it. So, there is the soloness of you and the Bible is okay. You can read the Bible. You can understand it. But you need means of community. Remember, the Bible yes, will tell you to be a part of community. That's right. You were saved to community, and it's because of fallenness. Um, and also special giftings within that community that you're to, to exhort, rebuke, and reprove one another, um, singing hymns to one another, encouraging one another. And how do you do like, that's community? So, yes, there are ordinary means of maybe I am I have a little bit better grasp on something, and then I can go to my friend that's having problems with it, and then I'm a means to that person to encourage them and grow them, and that's how the church is supposed to work. And I would consider ordinary means yeah. to be in the bounds of 2 Timothy 2, 22, where it says, Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a mm -hmm. pure heart. How do you know what righteousness is? 
By what standard do you know what righteousness is? By what standard do you know what love is? How about what yeah. faith is? Well, because of Scripture. And who are you to pursue those things with? Those who call upon the name of the Lord from a pure heart. Yeah. Again, you can't just understand Scripture in a vacuum all yeah. to yourself, because that would throw out the entire concept of a local body of believers. So, with that said, though, I want to kind of jump into these things. I know here we're almost 30 minutes into the broadcast, and we haven't really jumped into our, our four main points, Blake. So, we want to kind of demonstrate from Scripture that the Bible asserts that it's clear. We want to also demonstrate that one must seek righteousness and holiness to rightly understand the Scripture. In order yeah. for Scripture to be clear to an individual. They need to pursue holiness. They need to pursue righteousness in order to even understand Scripture rightly. Yeah. So, Scripture isn't clear to a lost person. That's right. That's yeah. why when you deal with lost people mm -hmm. and they're trying to argue Scripture with you, they don't understand it because yeah. they don't have the Holy Spirit. And it's, and it's the right? big one whenever I've tried to talk. I'm like, you have to rid yourself of your presuppositions. You have yes. to empty and make a blank slate in your mind and then read the scriptures and go, okay, this is the God who is speaking. This is what he has done. This is the history he has given me. Here's how he has acted. Here how's, and so you have to develop, like you have to, again, this is the presuppositional way. Yeah. As you got to go. You don't join them. Again, you don't, you don't make a common foundation to build the house. You invite them into your house on top of your foundation and go, Here's my worldview. That's right. Then you go into them with in their house that they built, their shack that's about ready to fall whenever you they realize that they stole all the nails, all the wood, all the cement, everything from you <laughs> and tried to build their house yeah. um, without any sort of instruction, just kind of borrowing what they have seen that they like and cherry pick from you. <laughs> so um, that so they're, 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 they're not going to get there. So, again, that's the apologetic method here that we've got to do so they're not going to understand it unless if you tell them well you have to get rid of you have to basically make jesus christ your lord and savior and submit to him and and think his thoughts after him in order to get this anyway so that's that's scripture right there that's right and, and so just to kind of put our last little few pieces so yeah. number one we are going to demonstrate that the bible asserts that it's clear we're going to also demonstrate that scripture says you must seek Holiness, righteousness, yeah. be guided by the scripture in order to even see that scripture is clear. Further, though, we're also going to say that you don't have to have an advanced theological degree uh, in order to understand scripture. In other mm -hmm. words, for scripture to be clear, you just need to be a regular, normal person, right? Yeah. Uh, and then finally, we're going to say that there are those who intentionally will pervert scripture in order to seek their own gain and to harm others. In other yeah. words, to steal God's glory. So, yeah. um, the first place that I think would be really important for us to go would be Second uh, Peter chapter three, verses fifteen and sixteen. Again, uh, Peter is uh, coming to the end of his life at the end of Second Peter, but he is writing here about the uh, about the Pauline epistles. This is actually a really cool passage for multiple reasons. Number one, it demonstrates that Peter saw Paul's writing as scripture, mm -hmm. but he also makes another little comment here. He says this in verse 15, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you. So, number one, again, Peter is familiar with the fact that Paul has written. Mm -hmm. And then he says this, 
according to the wisdom given him. Okay, so Paul is written according to the wisdom given to him, who by the Holy Spirit, right? Because Peter has already said that men are carried along, that no no scripture is inspired by the will of men, but by God. Yeah. He's already clarified that within his text. And then he continues here. There are some things in them, of course, that's the writings of Paul, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. scriptures. Boom. We understand that the Bible is clear, but the Bible actually does assert that there are some yeah. areas of scripture that are a little bit harder for us to understand. Yeah, and it's but, just really, really interesting there because it says as they do the other scriptures. So he's not saying, well, what Paul says is hard to understand. And, and you know, just like people distort the scriptures, no, there's no like distinction made here. It's like right. in what Paul said, they just they twist. Just, just like, like they, they do, do the other, other the other scriptures. So but God yes. has already spoken before this in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse six through seven. Moses would write, God expected, of course, all of his people to talk and know and be able to talk about his things. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Uh, I want to look up those verses real quick for you uh, because they're key to this. Again, in Deuteronomy, Moses is laying out some things. And this is actually really, really uh, clear stuff. In fact, it's part of the Shema, yeah. right? And so with that Here's what Moses writes uh, that the Lord says. He says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them as you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. In other words, here's the cool thing. God's commands, according to Moses, are so simple that you can talk about them when you're walking, mm -hmm. when you're laying in your bed. You can talk about them with your kids. The Bible clearly reveals that what God has said is something that everyone should know. It's mm -hmm. something that should be so simple you can talk about it wherever you go and with your kids. In other words, God expected his people would know and be able to talk about his word with proper application in everyday situations of life. Mm -hmm. And so the Bible asserts itself to be clear. And I, I do love what Psalm chapter 1 verse 2 says. Again, just building on a few of these verses, we can see that Scripture believes itself to be exceptionally clear. At least puts that idea forward in, in Psalm, the very first Psalm. Again, uh, what I would consider probably the preface to what's going to come in the rest of the book. Because we don't know what the order of the writing of the Psalms were, but we know that they were ordered, and the order that we have them was the one that the Jews used. And so what do they start off the book with? Psalm chapter 1, verse 2 says, But his delight, this is talking about mm -hmm. a man, his delight, of course the righteous man, the blessed man actually, mm -hmm. uh, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law he meditates day and night. Yeah. God's word is simple enough. The law of God is simple enough so that you can think about it all the time. Psalm 119.97 uh, is another key verse. Um, and, and you just love this verse here. In the longest chapter of the Bible, we have this uh, amazing verse here. And uh, I... I do have it memorized, but I, I like, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation yeah. all the day. God's word presupposes that it is so simple that you can think about it all the time. Mm -hmm. You can think about it when you're laying down, when you're walking on the path. It's interesting. 
uh, further that when Jesus, in all of his discussions with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he never responds to them by saying, well, that text was so hard you couldn't understand it. That's why you've messed it up. No. In fact, in places like Matthew chapter 12, he says very clearly, have you not read? Yeah. He never says you just didn't interpret scripture right. He actually, again, affirms this idea that you should have been able to understand it. Uh, he even asked in Matthew 21, verse 42, have you never read the scriptures? I mean, he's extremely yeah. harsh with the Jews in Matthew 22, 29, when he says, you're wrong because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. So over and over again, not only do we have Moses when he's quoting the Lord in Deuteronomy, saying, God has said, you should be able to talk about this everywhere. David in Psalm says, you should be able to think about this wherever you are. All day long, you should be able to meditate on it. Jesus makes it so clear, like, your misunderstanding isn't because Scripture is so hard, Pharisees and Sadducees. Mm -hmm. It's because you don't know it. And yeah. therefore, it can be known. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. and, they, and they know it, but then again, what is their, what is their heart? Their heart yeah. is hard. And we know from Scripture clearly that God did that for a purpose. But, again, um, we can go to, again, the text here. Um, Timothy was one that was supposed to be doing teaching, yeah. preaching the Word, and, and also passing the baton to the next generation to teach and preach the Word. And so that's leadership. Yeah. This, is what the, this is not just a New Testament thing. This was supposed to be all leadership. That's right. So this is a universal principle. So this is the principle of the scripture that was even laid out before the Sadducees and, and the Pharisees and all the other Jewish leaders, um, anybody that was supposed to be speaking the text. Um, it was all for salvation. That's why whenever Christ meets the disciples on the road to Amazus, he calls them foolish. Yeah. This well, is why then he presents himself from the scriptures as well. And so he's not just presenting himself just to go, okay, I'm Jesus, right? He also follows it up by, he shows himself as Christ after he reasons with them from the scriptures. And then Paul, again, takes the same sort of methodology, reasoning from the scriptures to get um, to the conclusion that, you know, the gospel, right? Yeah. And, and so, again, the doctrine of the clarity of scripture is something that the Bible mm. affirms about yes. itself. Like, Moses makes it clear that God's word was so, God's commandments were so accessible, you could talk about them with their kids. Yeah. David says you could think about them all the time. Jesus says, you don't understand scriptures, right? And you don't know scriptures. It's not that they're so hard. You can't yeah. understand them. They are understandable. But here's the other thing, and I think this is another key. Again, when we think about the idea of the clarity of Scripture and how Scripture supports that idea, look simply how Paul, when he would address his letters, Galatians chapter 1, verse 2, he writes it to the church what at Galatia. In uh, 1 Corinthians, right, he says so clearly that he is writing this to the church at Corinth. Yes. The, the epistle of Philippians, Philippians 1, 1, he says to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are Philippi. In other words, Paul, in writing scripture, yeah. also expected everyone in the church to be able to understand it. Like, that should be so encouraging. Here's the other yeah. cool thing, and I want you to think about this like this. When we talk about the Bible of the New Testament, right? Whose Bible, what Bible was that? Well, here's yeah. what we also need to remember. The Jews and the Gentiles 
the scripture that they had access to was a translation of the Hebrew, yeah. the Septuagint, mm-hmm. right? So we often will be like, oh, and this is one, I just hate this when this happens, right? When people are like, well, you just got to go down. And again, I am 100% for uh, working in the original languages. You know, I've taken some classes in Greek and and I didn't do as well as I would have liked, right? Yeah. But I, but I've worked hard. And, and again, my delving my toes in was was not as successful as I wanted it to be, right? Yeah. Uh, but I haven't studied Hebrew at all. I have studied Greek at the master's level, but not uh, not not Hebrew, right? And so, when we think about languages, right, and a lot of times you'll people you'll hear people critique translations. Great, cool, whatever you want to do. But here's the thing: Paul believed that the scriptures because when he talks about graphe right he's mm-hmm. talking about the about the septuagint right they're quoting the septuagint what yeah. are they quoting from the septuagint right they believe that the translation that they had of the hebrew scriptures was clear enough for those non-jews and the yeah. jews to and be I mean, able if you to look read in the, uh, think even the book of hebrews it's the same thing the Bingo. hebrews the book of hebrews when it quotes the old testament yes is quoting from manuscripts that are found in the Septuagint. Paul expected mm-hmm. his writings to be heard and read by the whole group. Peter, mm-hmm. again, in 2 Peter, which we've already looked at 2 Peter, yeah. but 2 Peter 1.20 always reminds us of no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter is mm-hmm. recognizing that scriptures speak in harmony. Not only does Paul believe a translation is good for understanding God, Peter is affirming that it speaks in harmony, and Paul's writing, which are already declared scripture, not only just by yeah. Paul internally dis- describing that, if you've listened to some of our other podcasts on this topic, yeah. Peter's affirming it, and he's saying, hey, whole church, you can understand this. So, internally, there is a consistent message within Scripture that it's something that everyone can understand. Does that yeah. make sense? Oh, yeah. And by those means, as well, in community, um, you know, not not just by yourself. Um, you're not saved by, you're, you're saved individually to a community. That's right. So, there's the corporate and individual aspect. Um, but, you know, uh Basically, again, what I want to come down to is, are we trying to figure this out and then prop it up? Or is this something that has come down and then we're trying to think after? So, I mean, is this a priori knowledge or is this a posteriori knowledge? And the thing is, again, the, this is a presupposition. That's right. So just like with the uh, Jews, they had other issues to deal with. And so it wasn't the fact of scripture being not clear. That's right. It was a fact of, it was a, it was their ethical issue. They wanted to be saved by the law. They did not want to be saved by grace. They knew from the scriptures that it's clear whenever the psalmist or David, after he dealt with what he had to deal with his sin says that you're not happy with the sacrifices. You want a pure and contrite heart, which is humble, which is begging for grace. There was yes. grace in the Old Testament. So it's your a priori that's going to be the issue on if it's clear or not. And we, to be consistent, to make any sort of intelligible thing, clarity becomes a presupposition. Yes. Um, not something that we uh, have come up with because we have 
had the empirical manuscript textual criticism knowledge, it becomes the starting point for, again, the predication of what scripture teaches. If it is not clear, then just throw it away. That's right. And that's what I don't get about liberal theology. There you go. Well, that's because it does, again, begin to completely unravel. Mm -hmm. And see, here's where it begins to completely unravel. And there's this nice connection with the, again, clarity of scripture and the necessity of scripture. And it comes right here. Mm -hmm. How do we know what we need to do to be right with God? Again, we can only know from Scripture itself. Scripture must clearly speak on this issue, and it does. And here's the interesting thing. One must righteously seek holiness to rightly understand Scripture, right? Again, kind of jumping back a little bit to what we've already talked mm-hmm. about. When you deal with an atheist and a non-believer, and, then, and again, you'll find them saying, well, I don't understand, I don't understand, I don't understand. That's right you don't understand, because you haven't had the Holy Spirit guiding you, right? Yeah. I can tell you, the only way you'll ever understand Scripture as a non-believer is that the Holy Spirit would open up your eyes. And so I love, uh, one of my favorite memories when I began to really delve into systematic theology as a pastor was working with a group of guys, and we were going through, Wayne Grudem's 20 Christian Beliefs, and in one of the first chapters, they have a little subsection on the clarity of Scripture. A guy who just had a high school diploma read it, right? He's a, a friend of mine, has no theological education, right? Went to high school, graduated, he's been a, a day laborer, right, his, his entire life, right? A yeah. really good guy, but loves the Lord. And he didn't come to salvation until later in his life, right? Uh, I think... I think he was almost 40, right, before he becomes a Christian. And he said, you know, I would read the Bible for years, and I would just be like, I don't understand. He goes, man, when I finally repented of my sins and trusted Christ, he's like, I opened up the Bible, and I could read it for the very first time. Uh, It is um, so amazing. You know, when Mm. you think about John chapter 16, verse 13, when Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is going to guide them in all truth, right, that is a spirit that other people don't have. And First uh, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul is writing to the church, right? And he basically says here that the natural man does not yeah. accept things of the Spirit of God. Man yeah. in his natural state can't understand Scripture. So the idea and the concept of the clarity of Scripture and having a discussion in saying Scripture is clear to a non-believer seems foolish because mm-hmm. they're not going to understand Scripture because the Holy Spirit's not going to guide them. What the same things of the spirit seem foolish to the man yeah. in his natural state, because they don't accept the spirit of God. For they are, and that's the things of God are folly for them. For he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, the Bible is extremely clear that the Holy Spirit is the one who makes scripture clear so yeah and so i mean that takes us right into that final point yeah there will be people who will intentionally confuse scripture to harm others yes to boost themselves and this goes right into you know every conversation devolves into hitler (laughs) (laughs) so martin luther inspired hitler and so they they took scripture and they killed the jews with scripture because you know and, and martin luther traditionally and all that kind of stuff yeah, you know, that, that's going to happen. Um, people that don't like the God who has revealed himself authoritatively, necess- necessarily, clearly, sufficiently, and inherently, they recognize spiritualness because they're made in the image of God. And so they're going to be spiritual people and they're going to want to cling on to something 
right? Well, again, Actually, or they want to become God, so, as Hitler did with people. And, and so they recognize something, and they're going to grab whatever that takes to get the response that they want to get them to the end that they want. And so, say, in that sense, yeah, you can take the Bible and read it any way you want. Because, you again, we're talking about ethical issues. We're talking about a priori issues. That's right. This is why presuppositions matter. That's right. This is why we have to always go back to those foundations. What foundation are you on? Are you on the foundation of Scripture as it plainly teaches itself, clearly, not necessarily, (laughs) you know, in in those ordinary means? Or are you trying to build your own kingdom on borrowed capital? Which is, you know, if, if that's the case, if there was any sort of Bible used in the Holocaust, if there was any sort of Bible used in slavery... Um, it was twisted, like Peter Bingo. said about Paul. It was twisted for their destruction. That's right. And so, yes, there are going to be people using this. That doesn't give you an excuse to not try to see if it's something, if what they believed about Scripture was true or not. And that's that's exactly um, what happens with the unrighteous, wicked person. Um, they're going to utilize that argument to then bolster their hate for God and use it against you as the Christian. Yeah. Right that's on. what happens to me. So well, and, and that's the issue. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so <laughs> you'll have people say, "Well, what about those who use the Bible to to affirm chattel slavery?" Right. Well, number one, Scripture doesn't teach about teach no. about chattel slavery. Right. Uh, it doesn't say that slavery is good, but people will misuse Scripture and twist Scripture yeah. for their own gain. To affirm. So you can approve text things to affirm all kinds of evil stuff Again, if you this want is to that approve text it. Stop being parts and pieces yourself, maybe, Ego. and think about the whole picture. So again, this is where uh, uh, James White always says, you know, there should be another sola, which is, or another type of thing attached to the solas, which is tota scriptura. So it's that's not right. just sola scriptura, it's tota scriptura. And that's how we get our clarity, right? It that's might right. Be obs- you might have an obscure part here. But then again, it's going to speak somewhere else, and they work in harmony. Remember, though there are multiple authors, human authors of Scripture, again, we talked about, it wasn't clever things of man. There is only one author of Scripture. And the Southern Baptist Faith and Message 2000 affirms it, uh, 1689, Westminster, whatever. God is the author of his Bible. That's right. That we read, utilizing the immaterial God that spoke. I mean, he became an incarnation, Christ. But here is but, the thing. And spoke, but, you know, we, we've got to start there. Scripture, while saying that it is clear, Scripture, while saying the Holy Spirit needs to guide you, Scripture, while affirming that the regular person can interpret it, also gives us the reality that people will twist it. Not only mm-hmm. in that Second Peter passage, but likewise when Paul is writing to Titus and talking about the different attributes of elders, he says that a elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instructions in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict. Notice also there, that isn't the only list, right, Mm -hmm. of elders, right? In in 2 Timothy, right, uh, when speaking about elders, he's saying that an elder, that a pastor needs to be able to correct the opponents with, with gentleness, right? 
a few things as we begin to kind of go to the application component. Because man, I couldn't even believe how quickly time yeah. went there. I hope I didn't just like completely uh, We're good. We're uh, good. monopolize no. our time. But when we think about some of the clarity when it comes to serious issues in our day, I want to again point out what I believe are four fundamental reasons why the clarity of Scripture is so important. Number one, without the clarity of Scripture, we have no understanding of gender as created by God, mm-hmm. which goes right into what our podcast was on two weeks ago, right? Yeah. Without the clarity of Scripture, we don't have a definition of marriage. Mm-hmm. Again, issues that we're dealing with in our culture. Without the clarity of Scripture, we don't have the right roles of men and women in the church. Without the clarity of Scripture, we don't have racial reconciliation. Do you mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? Without the clarity of scripture, you know, people that are in a tizzy, uh, just any, not even gender, just who they are. Yes. Just who Their are identity. you? Like, Again. Whenever you grow up and uh, you are of the age where you start definitely rebelling against your parents and anything that they've ever taught you and you go into your tizzy on who am I? <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're talking about gender or anything, just generally like everybody has some sort of existential crisis in their life. Whenever yeah. they finally come into this like awareness um, their brains get bigger physically and they're, they're going through this stuff. If we don't have clarity, you're stuck in that your whole life. Well, and, and that's the gospel that's spoken to you in there is that you have an identity. And as I've shared with yeah. my son before, like, gosh, we were driving down 65, like not too far out of Springfield. We were laughing about this. I was like, this whole idea of I need to find myself, like that's the stupidest idea that is so yeah. counter-Christian. No, you don't. You know who you are because who God has yeah, said you, you are. And you've suppressed the truth about who you are. And, and I so just calm. love, yeah, I love how Calvin begins the Institutes. Of course, he did it in French, so I'm mm-hmm. reading a translation. Our wisdom insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom consists almost entirely in of two parts, the knowledge of God and of, our, and of ourselves. We know who we are. If we know who God is, and we know who God is, right? Because Scripture has shared that. Mm-hmm. How do we find who we are? Scripture tells that. Yeah. And so, if we're going to live, you know, if God wants us to live complete lives, if He's asking us to do work, if He's asking us to do anything, obedience, evangelism, whatever it is, if we don't have clarity, then have fun wielding your sword in vain. There are going to be people who attempt to twist Scripture, but that yeah. doesn't mean that Scripture cannot be clear. Yeah, We must remember that we live in a fallen world, yeah. a Genesis 3 world, a yeah. world where we're under the curse. And therefore, if there is misunderstanding, it is due in part to sin, sinful minds, sinful people, lack of dependence on the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. We can get to what God has said and God has clearly revealed. We need to be careful that it doesn't get twisted. Mm-hmm. God presupposed. See, God presupposed. Yeah. God asserted this yeah. is clear enough for you to understand. Yeah, and so therefore it's sufficient. So that's that's where the struggle, I bet you, is. It's definitely, if you find, he says it here, but you're going to be like, well, he doesn't say enough. So I still, and so that is man yeah. trying to find that foothold where man can have control. That's right. And so that's why sufficiency is fought against. That's why clarity is fought against is because we still want to have our tower of Babel somewhere. 
Yeah. Right. And so um, the big thing is we, this is a presupposition. Remember scripture is authoritative. And so God speaks. We believe what he says. We don't try to make this up. We're not trying to transcend ourselves again. We are believing in the condescension of God. And I think uh, the, to end it, um, I was watching a sermon uh, by Kevin DeYoung um, on the issue. And the big thing is, is in the postmodern world, being able to make assertions of absolutes is totally horrible, horrendous. Um, people find it arrogant whenever you have certainty. Right. And I think I've seen liberal a liberal theologian write a book on how we idolatrize or how we make an idol of certainty. And this is like, you know, again, this is liberal stuff yeah. going on there because they don't want certainty. They don't want clarity. They don't want all those kind of things that they have to bend to um, when it comes to their life with God. Um, but the thing is, is this is, again, what I have to say. Um, no. I don't know everything. What I do know, I can know for certain because it comes from the omnipotent God who is revealed. Yeah. I'm not claiming this knowledge for myself. I'm not claiming some sort of special trademark knowledge that you have to bow to me. No, I'm saying, no, the wrath of God is coming. Believe him. Repent. It's coming. I don't want you to go and be without him for eternity. I don't want to see you in that. But I'm not the Holy Spirit. I can't do anything. That's humble right there. I can't do anything, so I'm not going to force anything. That's right. But I will give you the gospel as many times as I possibly can until I die. Right. So that's, that's a right. humble thing. And so we need to understand that it is not arrogant to say, I know this for certain. That's right. And do not let anybody tell you that you're being arrogant and listen to them. That is Satan talking to you. That is their father talking through them to you. Don't believe it. Is not arrogant to bow in humble obedience to Jesus Christ. Think his in thoughts. Fact, think God's thoughts thing after you him. Can do. Yeah, the humble thing is to go. I don't know anything unless if God has revealed it, and that's the only certain knowledge I have. That's right. Now I can move here and there to a certain degree empirically. Yes, God makes sense of knowledge, and so I can have a uniform creation to be able to do the scientific method. And to, but I'm not doing it autonomously. I'm doing it derivatively from the God who has created me as a derivative of him. His archetypal knowledge, my ectypal knowledge, right? And so, you know, it's that, I think that's the big thing in this culture is that if you stand up and you deliver an absolute truth, you're looked upon as an arrogant son of a gun, and they don't want it. Yeah. That's what the venues didn't want. No, when that's we talked to, to talk to us. We're like the the Bible is clear on this, and they were just like, "Are you sure about that? How can we know?" And I had to say, "Well, the Holy Spirit, who is being humble, the one who's trying to reject certainty, or the one is going, I can have certainty, but it's not mine. Which one's humble? Yeah, and by which standard is humbleness defined? That's right. So, with that said, I want to end it with um, just a quote from. Oh, Waldron here says the sufficiency and clarity of scripture must be the presuppositions with which we confront every issue of faith and life. It is our duty and our privilege to expect that do that our duty on any issue of faith and life will be sufficiently and clearly revealed in scripture. What a wonderful, beautiful, merciful, gracious God do we serve. Amen. And we can humbly bow down to that. So, we only have one more attribute yes. left, which yes. will be 
next week on the inerrancy of scripture. Mm-hmm. And want to again press if you are in the Springfield area or have any freedom on Monday, December, uh, Monday, January 6th, we would love, love, love for you to come and be a part of the seated debate that will be at the Library Center in Springfield. We'll get you the exact room here pretty soon. And so it will be pretty fun. That'll be Phil and myself. Mm-hmm. How do you say his last name? Kahlberg? Yeah, I think, that's, I think I'm saying it right. Say I've it. met him and we've talked and, and really enjoyed all of our discussions. He's a great guy and look forward to the debate yeah. very much. But uh, it will be live on the live cast. Um, it will have it all propped so, up. So. But yeah. that, just because it's on the internet doesn't mean... No, please come. Community, please come. Community, please. So come on yeah, out. We need and um, support Dave, to, support to Phil, support debate. debate, support civility support uh, talking about awesome big things. So, with that said, this is the Tag Gear Podcast. I'm Ray Ray. I'm Dave. And Sully. Deo. Gloria. Gloria.